Welcome back to the 2R1 podcast, where we study the Bible together as a married couple. I'm Taylor. I'm Elisa. And we're glad you're back with us. Last week we were in Mark chapter 1, finished up the chapter, and the question was, what am I looking for? Who are you looking for? Who am I looking for? This week we're going to be in uh, Mark chapter 2, and the question is, where's the door? Hmm. Where's the door? Then we're going to speak with Dr. Blake Rackley uh, about a very interesting story from CNN, so sit back, enjoy the ride. Welcome back, Mark chapter 2. We, we made it. We finally <laughs> made it. Um, so, Elisa, if you'll pick up reading Mark chapter 2, then we'll come back and pray and get going. All right. Mark 2. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Amen. And that's through verse 12. Verse 12. So uh, we'll pray and then get going. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you, Lord. We thank you for uh, your word that is the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path, Lord. We thank you that all the answers... Uh, in Jesus are yea and amen, Lord, and, and everything that we're looking for is in Him. And Father, I pray tonight that you would bless your word, Father, that you would sow seed uh, with your word, Father, in the hearts of the people. And Father, I pray that you would use Elisa and I, Father, to speak forth your truth with love and boldness. Father, and I pray that you would uh, manifest your power, Father, through your word. Father, you formed the heavens and the earth with your word, and I pray that you would uh, just do a great work tonight. Bless the Word. And Father, I pray that you would prepare Elisa for Uganda, which is coming next week, and prepare her spiritually, Lord, and just ready her to do your work. And uh, go before us tonight and help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Mark chapter 2. This is a awesome passage of Scripture. Mm-hmm. I love it, and there's just so much here, and we only have a short time, so we're going to try and get to as much of it as we can. Um so just before this, at the end of Mark chapter 1, it talked about how Jesus had touched the man with leprosy, if you remember, and, and Jesus told him not to go and tell people, but he did anyway. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus had to stay out kind of in the wilderness and work because of all this, the rock star kind of 
buzz going on in the town. He couldn't go in there and, and do his work. But then it says, after a while, Jesus returned to Capernaum. So after things had died down a little bit, Jesus is able to come back into the city. After a while, Jesus returned to Capernaum. The word spread that he was back. So when God's on the move, the word's going to spread. Mm-hmm. The word starts to spread. And so many people gathered around the house that there was no longer any room, not even in front of the door. While he was preaching the message to them, four men came to him carrying a paralyzed man. They could not get near Jesus because of the crowd. So they stripped the roof over the place where he was, made an opening, and lowered the stretcher with the paralytic laying on it. And when I read that, I just had so many different thoughts about just, and I know you're going to talk about the four men and just how awesome that is and what you see in it. But my first thought when I read that was, you know, all these people that have gathered around to see Jesus, and they probably all have needs too, mm-hmm. and and they probably, um, maybe some of it is need while they're there. They want Jesus to do a work in their life. Maybe some of it is interest. Maybe it's just wanting to see a show, a spectacle. But either way, the whole town, tons of people are gathered in this home, around this home, and it's blocking the door. Mm-hmm. And here comes a paralyzed man on a bed, an obvious greater need than many of the people who at at a minimum are standing in the house and at a minimum are standing around the house, surely they would part for him to get to the door. Surely. Mm -hmm. You know? I mean, put yourself there. You've heard who Jesus, what Jesus can do. This can't be, I mean, you probably know the paralyzed guy's name. You probably know his family you know the need that he stands in. But even people that wanted to be with Jesus, even people that wanted to see Jesus, were blocking the door. That's right. Were blocking the door. And and granted, those in the front may not have seen the paralytic from way back, but I mean, we've all been in crowds before where somebody's trying to get through. Eventually, it, it yeah. makes it way to you. tap this one on the shoulder. Yeah. He taps that one on the shoulder. So why, didn't, why couldn't they get in? Why couldn't they get in? They're blocking the door. And so... Here are four men who are selflessly, sacrificially trying to help this man who cannot help himself. Mm-hmm. They're trying to carry a man to Jesus who's in great need, mm-hmm. and they can't find the door. Yeah, Where's how many, the door? How many times have we tried to carry someone to Jesus, and it seems like there's other people in the way? Yeah. You just want to be like, what? Well, you're, you're doing everything against what I'm trying to do right <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah, and you mentioned in the last podcast that you know, we have to be sensitive to the right time. That's right. And so it could be that there's a, you know, I've, I've seen, I've heard things before in a church setting where somebody said something to to someone who was visiting and I could tell that it did mm-hmm. not sit right with the person who was visiting and they didn't come back. And I'm not... And it was nice. It, it was wasn't nice. anything wrong. Right. Yeah. And, and not that we're going to get things right all the time with what we say, but we just have to be extra sensitive in those situations, but it just, that's what I saw. It really bothered me to think here's all these people that know what Jesus can do and what he has done and know what this, that this man is in great need. It's not like he has some secret hidden sin that only Jesus knows about. This is an obvious physical ailment that he has suffered with. And in these days there was no social safety net. This man was in great need and people were blocking the door. And like Elisa say, they could have you know, they could say, well, I didn't know they were behind me. I think there's zero excuse in this situation, especially for those on the outside of the circle. Hey, let's make way. Mm-hmm. 
where, let's help them find the door. So there's tons of questions this brings up. The first one is, you know, are we blocking the door for mm-hmm. someone? And and they were probably blocking it because they wanted to be closer themselves. Right. It it's not such a horrible thing, but right. you the gospel is about putting others before you. Absolutely. And later on in this scripture, if you look and see what pleases Jesus more, is it putting your own needs ahead, even if they're a needs that are taking you to him, or is it putting other needs first? Well, when the, when the men lower him down, it says be, Jesus saw their faith. Mm-hmm. Their faith. Their faith. The faith of the four men who put the other guy's needs ahead That's of their right. own and lowered him down. And granted, this was before the word, you know, the New Testament was out and before Jesus's teachings were made known abroad. So they didn't have the advantage of having, the, you know, that New Testament uh, grace, love, and truth that we have. But at the same time, these these people lived with this man. Surely some of them were kin and related in this circle. I mean, surely it would not take a rocket scientist to see that this man was in great need. And it just broke my heart to see that. And we so we need to ask ourselves, is there something we have, we have said, are saying, have done, are doing, ha- have not done, that is standing in the way of someone being brought to Jesus? Because... There is no greater uh, thing that we need in our life than Jesus to come in and regenerate us, mm-hmm. to save us, to make us new, to, to right our path, to put us on his plan for our life. We should want that for others above anything we should want for ourselves. Um, I truly believe that, and I think that that's what God wants. And when he sees that the, our desire is to bring others to him, then all of a sudden he'll begin to move in our life for things that he knows we need that we don't even necessarily have to utter and make known to him. Mm-hmm. So the first first way you look at that is where's the door? Are we blocking the door? Are we keeping other people from finding where the door is? Second way you look at this is are you burnt out? Are you looking for the door? <laughs> are you are you trying to get out? Are you wanting to leave? Where's the door? You know what I mean? Like you go you go to a place and it's a maybe it's like get together and there's some people there that make it very uncomfortable and you're like okay I'm ready to leave where's the door you know is that what church has become to you or me or us or anybody you found all the exits as soon as you get there <laughs> you're, you're looking around you're like okay how can I avoid this how can I avoid that where's the door um, and I just that is something that can happen you know. Um, Blake mentioned in, in, in part of our conversation that we recorded last night that we didn't record that, you know, the old adage that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. If you're that 20%, you can get burnt out and you can be looking for the door. And uh, I think, and we can talk about this in, in more detail later, but the church has a very bad habit. Capital C Church has a very bad habit of... Um, signing people up for a bunch of good things that might not be what God is calling them to do. And if you stay busy doing tons of good things and you don't do the God thing that he's called you to do, you will burn out. And I've been there. You've been there, Elisa. We have to guard ourselves from that. And sometimes when you guard yourself from being burnt out or being uh, used up, it can look selfish to those in the church because a lot of people don't really understand that. And they may think, oh, well, you know, they're not doing this or they're not doing that. Why aren't they helping? Why aren't they doing this? You Don't worry about what other people say and what other people think. At the end of the day, 
God is first, church is second. And that's a hard truth that sometimes we just have to, we have to go through something to realize that that's the, the order that it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just would encourage anybody who's feeling burnt out, um, start praying that God would show you what he's called you to do and show you what things that you need to cut to make room for what God is calling you to do. Don't sign up. Learn to say no. It's right? a complete sentence. No, that's what Elisa always says. No is a complete sentence. And I'm not saying not to volunteer. I'm not saying not to help. But what I'm saying is that don't do something because someone asked you. Do something because you feel God's leading to do it. Mm-hmm. It's just like when people request a song for um, maybe me or a group of uh, musicians that I'm playing music with to play a song at church. I don't play a song just because someone asked me to play a song. I only play a song if I feel led to play that song. Now, sometimes those two things line up. If somebody asks me to play a song and I'm like, and, and, and God confirms that, then yes. But we have to be led by the Spirit and not by man. And we can't think that just because someone who is a Christian and who is in a place of authority asks us to do something, that that is necessarily Spirit-led because it's not always the case, you know? So there's the two ways I saw where's the door. Hmm. If you can't, if you're looking for the door, look for God's calling in your life. Concentrate on what he wants you to do and don't worry about all the fray that's around you. And also we need to be asking ourselves, are we, you know, shepherding people to the door? And uh, there's a couple of verses that I, that I jotted down about Jesus being the door. Um. This is John 10, 7 through 11. Let me read this to you. This is the ESV. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus is the door, and it's our job to show people the door. Mm-hmm. That's our job. God never asked us to do anything else but to show people the door. And sometimes use our words to get them there. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Actions speak louder than words. All right. So, if Jesus is the door, how crazy is it that he's also the one knocking? (laughs) (laughs) He's always in pursuit, always. Um, I did a a study over this one time with some of my my sisters in Christ, and Chasta, she led it, and she's just amazing. Chasta Stewart, shout out to her. (laughs) Shout out, Um, hashtag. So I will never forget it. And I was looking. I thought, surely I wrote some notes down, but I I can't find it in my Bible. I may have written something in a notebook somewhere. So this is all from memory, which is rare for me. I do not have the ability to hear something and remember it. I usually have to write it down and then look back. But I will never forget this particular study because we looked at it from all different angles. So, And ever since then, I have always tried to look at, when I read Scripture, looking at it through all perspectives. And here we've talked about the perspectives of the crowd. You know, would you be that one in the crowd 
um, whether a good thing or a bad thing that you are blocking the door. Is that you in this picture? Mm. We've probably all been there. Um, and again, not necessarily a bad thing. You want to get close. You would like to sit at the feet of Jesus and you don't want anything coming in between that. And that, again, you have to be sensitive to the timing and discernment. Um, then there's the perspective of who was in the crowd that we get to see here. And we know later on we see the Pharisees. So we've probably all been there looking on and thinking, okay, whatever they're talking about or whatever they're doing is just crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where do they get the right to say or do that? And the Pharisees were over there being judgmental. Mm-hmm. And nobody likes to say that we're like the Pharisees, but we've probably all done it. Mm-hmm. Um and, I, and it is hard to ask yourself, who am I, and be honest with yourself. Yes. And I think the truth is, more times than not, we are going to identify with more than one perspective. Mm-hmm. At some point in our lives, we've probably been in the crowd. We have probably been a paralytic, if not literally paralyzed, but a, a big need mm-hmm. that we have that we're bringing to paralyzed Jesus. Paralyzed by fear it, or it yeah, may, whatever yeah. it is. Um, and we've probably been the Pharisees. Um there's another perspective in here. Well, let me go ahead and do the obvious one first. The four men. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we've been a part of this, and, and their faith here is amazing. But to me, what is even more amazing is their dedication and loyalty to their friend. And I know a lot of times when I hear about brothers and sisters in Christ being there for each other, the, the metaphor that is used is, I will hold your arms up when you get tired. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to Moses when... You know, they were at, they were in battle, and as long as Moses had his hands up praising, they were winning. Mm-hmm. But as soon as he got tired and let his arms down, they would lose. So Aaron and some others literally came up beside him and held his arms up so that they could win that battle. Mm-hmm. But they got something out of that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's easier to help a friend out when it's for our own good. Right. And it takes a special person to actually take the need of their friend and be willing to not only carry him up on top of the roof, but then make a hole in the roof and carry him down. And and not to mention, I mean, I'm wondering if they're thinking, okay, either we're going to get yelled at for this or, but, you know. They, yeah, there's they were, tons going on in their mind, surely. So maybe, hopefully you've been that person before or you're willing to be when the opportunity lets yourself. Um, and then there's that perspective that, is probably not thought about, and I would have never thought about it had it not been brought to my attention. But whose house is this? <laughs> you know, who lives here? Um, I think most people would agree that, well, Jesus, he was from Nazareth, right? Mm-hmm. But they call this his home. So one of the first houses he went to was one of his first disciples was Peter. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people believe this was probably Peter's house. Hmm. Um, I read that somewhere, but nobody knows for sure. But whoever's home this was, I'm assuming there's a woman of the house Mm -hmm. who is trying her best to entertain and serve and be the hostess with the mostess. And all of a sudden she looks up and sees these these men (laughs) tearing through her roof, (laughs) you know, knowing her husband's not going to be there much longer. He's not going to be able to fix that roof before they go discipling and following Jesus all around the nation. (laughs) So... What kind of, I would like to think she just said, okay, yeah, I see the need there too. Let's get this man to Jesus. I think she must have if she's willing to have all those people in her house. Mm -hmm. Um, 
<laughs> but what she had an opportunity there, even without the hole in the roof, to be a host and to to welcome Jesus in and all of his followers. And I know this really struck a chord with me because there are times when I don't feel like being the host, but in there saying or yeah. something about, you know, that, that's actually a gift of the Spirit, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Is being yeah, hospitality. Hospitality. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's there's all kind of ways and aspects to look at this, to see where you are right now or where have you been or where do you hope to be as far as this story goes. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can even go into, what is it, Proverbs 31 and the kind of woman mm-hmm. that you want to be. And it, it shouldn't just be a, a feminine role that we're talking about here, but, you know, with this being a marriage podcast, we want to try and look at it from from both angles and surely it was hard for the for the woman in some way even if she had to suspend it uh you know after seeing jesus do everything that he's done maybe it made it easier for her to be Mm -hmm. like oh my gosh i don't care what happens in my house this is Mm -hmm. this is god at work this is the messiah this is her mother had already if it is peter's house yeah her mother had already been healed by jesus but either way anything but all these other people in her house the pharisees and everybody else that's Maybe just there out of curiosity and not out of real genuineness. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to think about if I'm opening my house to them, are they going to come in and then leave the same way? Mm-hmm. That's an opportunity for you to witness, even just by letting them in your house. Like I said, you don't yeah. have to say a word, but without her opening her door. Right. This this opens up the whole idea of how should we view our possessions and the home is the safe haven of the family. And in this time, all the more. Um, it was, I mean, you're, you've worked your whole life to have this home. And this was, certainly in this culture, a woman's central domain. This mm-hmm. was everything that she worked for and paid attention to diligently, daily, planned for the future, everything. And she was willing to sacrifice what she had for Jesus, no matter the cost. Mm -hmm. And that needs to turn the mirror to us and let us ask ourselves the possessions that we have for, for her in this story, it was a home, but how do you view your home as a Christian, as a believer? Do you view your home as a vehicle for ministry? Mm -hmm. Do you view your car literally as a vehicle for ministry? Do you view your job as an inroad for ministry? Because that is how we should view it. And it's a testimony to the to this woman to the fact that she didn't protest. Yeah. You know, it's not written that she yeah. did. And it's written in three of the four Gospels, this story right here. And it's pretty much the same details. Mm-hmm. So that's how we should all view our whatever we have. Because the truth is, um, one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament, I believe it's in Deuteronomy, says that every house is built by some man but God is the builder of all things. Mm -hmm. And we have to remember that whatever you have, you may think you earned it, (laughs) but you could have been born blind, halt, withered and lame in another country with zero opportunity and with zero ability and zero upward mobility, zero finances. We, we take for granted what God has done in our lives. And many times we try to take the credit for it. But the truth is everything that I have, everything that I am, every gift, every thought, every word, every action, every pair of tennis shoes I've ever owned 
It's all been given to me by God, not just so I can have stuff and enjoy life, but to use for him and his kingdom. Mm -hmm. And that is how we should view our possessions, period. If that is not how we view our possessions, then we need to line ourselves up with the way God sees possessions. And I'm not saying everybody's got to open their door to the masses. No, but if if God brings a need across your path and asks you to do that, and he'll ask different people to do different things. But if he yeah. asks you to do that, we should be the people that said, yes, Lord. Yes. You know, yes, Lord. Um, so moving on, you mentioned faith. And I, one of the things that I love about this um, Hebrew translation is that a lot of times it will change the word faith to trust. Mm-hmm. And I even did a concordance study of the word faith and how it's used in this um in this section here. Now we know the new Testament was written primarily in Greek. Um, and, um, you know, so the Greek meaning of words and the Hebrew meaning of words are not exactly always lined up, but this is, um, this is a Hebrew person, a Hebrew speaking person who has retranslated, uh, the Greek into English from a Hebrew mindset and they changed it to trust. And when I did the concordance study of the word faith, um, it just talked about persuaded persuasion. These men that did this were so persuaded by who Jesus was and what he had done that they chose to act. Faith, trust is an action word. You know, um, Mm -hmm. when you read the verses in the New Testament, talk about believe on the name of Jesus and you shall be saved. Uh, The word belief is also used uh, in some of our English translations in James where it says even the demons believe in Mm -hmm. Jesus and tremble. Belief by itself is not enough, is not saving. We have to have faith, which is when we we act on our belief. When, When belief is propelled into action is what faith and trust is. So mine says in verse five, seeing their trust, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Some Torah teachers sitting there thought to themselves, How can this fellow say such a thing? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins except God? But immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they were thinking what they were thinking, said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or get up, pick up your stretcher, and walk. But look, I will prove to you, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. In front of everyone, the man got up, picked up his stretcher at once, and left. They were all utterly amazed and praising God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. So they were mad that he forgave their sins because they didn't. He he looked just like any other man. You know, who has the authority to do that but God? They were mad about that, so Jesus went the next step to heal this man who could not walk and made him walk again. But in between there, he also read their thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like if that, wouldn't that almost be enough alone? Cause they weren't, they weren't saying who is this guy out loud. They were kind of talking among themselves or quietly thinking that. Um, but he read their thoughts and then he healed somebody right before their eyes, mm-hmm. and still that wasn't enough. Yeah, and you see that happen again and again uh-huh. when Jesus is healing later in the Gospels in the synagogue. What really stood out to, to me in this section here, and I kept trying to wrap my head around it, and we are getting, getting tied on time, but to me this section is all about the name. 
And if you look in verse 10, he says, but look, I will prove to you that the Son of Man, who is, we know is one of Jesus' titles both in the Old and the New Testament, but look, I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Um, if you look, Jesus is, seems to be calling back to some Old Testament scripture here. And mm-hmm. the Hebrew people it. were very aware of the names of God and the references to God. And this is why they called him out. Another reason that it was shocking to them that he was blaspheming. Um, so the Son of Man reference uh, goes back to Daniel 7. Um, and let me read you Daniel seven thirteen through 14. This is the uh, CJB version. Uh, Daniel 7. I kept watching the night visions when I saw coming with the clouds of hem- heaven someone like a son of man. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. To him was given rulership, glory, and a kingdom so that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His rulership is an eternal rulership that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So Jesus essentially is calling back to this verse and letting them know right here he is claiming to be the Son of Man, the Holy One of Israel, the Mashiach, the Messiah, the Promised One, the One who met with Abraham uh, before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, he, he's claiming to be that right here. And when he said the Son of Man, he said, I will prove to you that I have authority to forgive sins. And if you look back in that Daniel 7 verse, he says that the Son of Man will have authority. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus is about to show them who he really is and prove to them. You know, like Elisa said, it should have been enough that he read their mind. But he said, I'm about to show you that I am the Son of Man. I'm going to, I'm going to fulfill this Daniel 7 verse in front of your eyes right now. Just watch. Um, and I thought that was really awesome. And he does that a few more times throughout the Gospels. There's a lot in those names, mm-hmm. you know, and I think sometimes our language doesn't get us the full part about the names. Yeah, there's just so much there that we, I mean, we could just talk about this forever. We could. Um, but Jesus is the door ultimately. And the question is, where is it? You know, where is it in your life? Are you already through the door, like mm-hmm. the Pharisees? Mm-hmm. Are you in the door and still don't know the door? One foot on both <laughs> sides of the door of the threshold. Yeah, right. Um, hopefully, you're not at, only at the door, but you're bringing other people there. Um, but there's all kind of doors in mm-hmm. life in general, mm-hmm. and I think we're all looking for that door for happiness. Mm-hmm. But Jesus is the door. He's the door. And, you know, the the verse says, seek him first and all those other things will come. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe that. So we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to have our um, guest for the week, Dr. Blake Rackley. So stay tuned. We'll see you in just a second. Hey, guys. Thanks again for joining us. If you missed any of our previous podcasts, you can find them on 2r1.org or search for us on iTunes at 2r1. That's the number 2, the letter R, and the number 1. And all of the articles, any links that we come across, we will also post on the website. So check them out there. Welcome back. Uh, Our guest tonight is Dr. Blake Rackley. 
He is a licensed clinical psychologist and professor of psychology at Emanuel College in Franklin Springs, Georgia, and he joins us by phone. Thank you for joining us, Blake. Yeah, thank you for having me, man. He also happens to be my cousin, and uh, so full disclosure there. Uh, Blake, the article that I, that I sent to you is from CNN Travel. Um, just let the audience know. This is uh, the title of the article from Biz and Leisure from CNN Travel is This is the World's Happiest Country in 2019. And uh, it seems at first glance like a little bit of a softball article um, that's just a very easy read kind of thing. And then, um, and that was how me being a layman read it, you know, and, and I thought, well, Blake can just expand on this. And then when I sent it to you, you, you mentioned this is actually a very in-depth article. So kind of, could you kind of peel it back and tell us what this article is talking about? Yeah, sure. Like, you know, most of the time with news, you know, they'll present statistics and, you know, these, um, you know, just great little snippets of things. Well, the, this particular article is a, is basically a seven chapter book that the World Health um, Organization has been doing kind of an in-depth study for, you know, 20 plus years just on happiness. Wow. So, um, you know, what CNN presented was just like, you know, what's the happiest country in the world? But it's actually a lot more in depth. Um, a lot than, of data. Oh, tons and tons of data in wow. there. And I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> I know that I, I gave this to you as a, kind of a jumping off point. It ended up being a little bit of homework for you. And I appreciate you being, being diligent to break it down because those of us on the outside looking in, we do, you know, we need you to, to, to pull out the parts that apply to us from this data. And I appreciate you doing that. So, oh, not a problem, man. so what I know that you had mentioned, there were some things that really were high points that you thought would really resonate, um, with, with the listeners. And, um, you mentioned there's, there's some references in there of set, like some key points. Um, what are the, what are some of those key points that we need to know about? Well, you know, the, the major report was just saying like, you know, Finland was the happiest country, um, mainly because of their government, their perceived, you know, well-being for their people um, and just overall happiness as far as that one particular country. But I found it really, really unique that the article um, actually brought out some great things, um, mainly for just the U.S., um, and like, you know, one of those things was just the rise of digital media mm-hmm. and um, happiness as well here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Kind of more um, modernized countries. Yeah, like um, one of the things that they're finding is, especially like with digital media, is that, you know, the more digital media that you are exposed to or that you use, actually the less happy you are and you know considering you know one of the statistics that they um they quoted was from an article by anderson and jang in 2018 that said that 95 percent of the united states adolescents had access to a smartphone and about 45 percent of them said that they were online almost constantly man so one of the things that we're seeing is that we're causing um, 
while digital media is great, it allows us to expand our world in many ways. In some ways, you know, digital media is actually causing us to be myopic and we're not even seeing our actual environment, the things that are happening around around us because our eyes are glued to a very, very small screen mm-hmm. and we're we're isolating ourselves from just regular conversation with people. Is the issue, Blake, more about duration on the device? Is that is there like a tipping point that you've seen or read? Does this article reference some of that? Oh, most definitely. You know, one of the really interesting things that, um, you know, that I read were like they quoted quite a few articles like um, – Booker et al. in 2015, you have Lynn et al. in 2016, and a few others, where they actually found that adolescents and young adults who spend more time on digital media are lower in their well-being. And they also found, like girls, girls who spend five or more hours a day on social media are three times more likely to be depressed than people that don't mm. Social media. And that's a huge issue right now, even in the church, right, Blake? Like, that's something that I really, you know, this leads us into that, something that you can really speak to. Just just the whole taboo subject of mental health in the church. And I know that's something that you're passionate about. How does this, how does this speak to that? And, and what, where are we? What do we even do about it? And I don't know if that's out of your... Um, you know, um, area where you can speak on, but it just seems a little hopeless. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, you know, I I don't believe that it's hopeless. I believe that, you know, in some way, you know, we're trying to reach the generation by using the tools that they have, which is social media. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look, every church has a web page, they have an Instagram, they have you know, even Snapchats, our services are are geared towards where we're showing, you know, PowerPoints and words and in trying to engage them with film. And, you know, we're, we're attempting to connect with them, um, you know, just to really get them kind of interested in it and, and interested in the gospel. But, you know, a lot of times, you know, we can have the flashing lights, the great music, the great guitars, and, you know, we're we're missing the relationship part of it, mm. which means put down your phone, close your laptop, let's not look at a screen, let's sit outside, let's talk. And, you know, this this generation, one of the things that this article kind of really brought out was that they don't attend religious services mm-hmm. like they used to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can we can spend so much of our time, you know, attempting to be attractive mm-hmm. to this generation. And we lose sight that attraction fails mm-hmm. over time. And it's the relationship that, binds us to people. That's what separates and, Christianity from yeah. all other religions is the relationship, both vertically and horizontally. I completely agree with that. So w- could it be that that would be sort of a homeopathic uh, first step 
in someone that is that is either dealing with that personally uh, inside inside the church, youth pastors, would that be? I mean, could that could that move into the to the realm of a of a recommendation from someone like you that deals with this day in and day out? Yeah, like you know, one of the things that you know I kind of recommend to my patients is that they need to delete their social media, like delete Facebook. You know, um, they need to uh, delete like Instagram, Snapchat, mm-hmm. and instead of using that time to constantly scroll through and you're constantly with visual um, stimuli, actually be stimulated by being with someone. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, go out for coffee, put your phone, leave your phones in your car and just be with people. Because honestly, like, you know, the, the more you see of people outside whether it's in a coffee shop whether it's in the grocery store whether it is even in the church service look how many have to be engaged with their phone and not engaged in the moment Mm -hmm. and you know my patients i really try to um i really try to encourage them that their phones while they believe that it's their way of being connected it's actually isolating them wow the exact opposite of what we think we're getting yeah and i know that you've mentioned in a previous conversation that we had about selfies um could you talk a little bit about that i know that's right in this vein but could you just bring that in as well sure you know one of the things um that is seen now while it is not a psychological disorder or anything like that we do see that you know, um, people that take more selfies end up being less happy mm-hmm. because many times they're trying to portray themselves on Instagram or Snapchat in particular ways because, you know, the more likes that they get, the better that they feel about themselves when, when in essence, they're, they're already unhappy and they're trying to look for validation through other people instead mm-hmm. of feeling validated through Jesus. And what he says, and, yeah, who he says they are. Right. Yeah. So um, the other aspect, and this is just for everybody, and, you know, <laughs> I guess I'm preaching to the choir here because I'm also a photographer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They say that, you know, the more pictures you take, the less happy you are. Hmm. Because, I mean, think about it. How many times um, are we at a birthday party or are we, you know, somewhere and it's like, oh, let me get a picture. You know, and they're just constantly people like, I got to get a picture. Let me do this. Um, uh, oh, here, let's pose with me. Let's do this. And they're constantly, they're videoing, they're snapping because we've allowed our phones to become our memories. Mm. And unfortunately, when we're doing that, we're not enjoying the moment. We're trying to recreate a feeling from a picture days later instead of being able to sit back and be able to say, you know what, I was fully there in that moment. I remember the feeling. I remember, you know, how I felt during, you know, a wedding. Mm-hmm. We're too constantly busy just yeah. snapping pictures and and I could easily see there being a middle ground there um hey let's get a let's get a group photo and then 
Let's put that to bed and let's enjoy the day. Um, but I would even, you brought up a very interesting point, which would probably be closely related to what you study, but even probably uh, maybe on into neuroscience. Uh, but I wonder if there is some, some memory uh, science that would, that would weigh in on that. I mean, because I feel like I just notice in talking with older generations, I don't remember things as well as they do. I mean, most definitely. Like, you know, one of the things that we do see in neuropsychology and when we study memory is that this generation, we don't we don't have to remember certain things anymore. Mm -hmm. We don't have to hold things in our short term memories. So our short term memories are being affected by, you know, our phones. If you think about Hmm. it, if your wife sends you to the store and says, I need you to get me these five things and she just names it. Your first reaction is, listen, just just text it to me. So that is so me this. right there. <laughs> I mean, so like you can even ask your listeners, like ask your listeners, like how many phone numbers can you currently name? Like right now, you know their name, you know their phone number, and you can just rattle it off right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And honestly, the vast majority of people today may know five to ten phone numbers <laughs> And 911 is included <laughs> in that, in that uh, phone number. So we, we don't hold things. We don't have to hold things in our memory anymore. So we're actually doing damage to our brains wow. and not training our memory. Blake, that is a, an awesome start to that article. And we're going to, if it's okay with you, same time next week, Lord willing, if we can get together and, and delve into the second half of this. And um, I, I really appreciate you weighing in because you've got a perspective that that very few people have. And so um, and also the fact that you're a believer and that you you see uh, the mental health side of the church, that's something very, very beneficial for us. And it's something that we need to be willing to talk about. And I appreciate uh, you know your willingness to talk about it. And hopefully we can take away a little bit of the stigma just around talking about it. You know, I think the church has a bad habit of acting like we're always okay. And it's okay to not always be okay. And I appreciate you being willing to come on and talk about it. Awesome, man. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. Awesome. Well, we'll talk to you next week, Blake. I appreciate it. All right, man. All right, see you. That is some very powerful uh, stuff that Blake brought out about happiness. And he's going to come back next week and finish it. But very close to home, the digital uh, Mm. world that we live in and the way that we are just enamored with information all the time. And many times we choose to remove ourselves from reality and put ourselves in in the digital world to the point, to our own detriment. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just, it's just more proof that, you know, there's all different ways that we think we can achieve happiness. If I just make the perfect post or if I just get this next achievement, But it all goes back to the one Jesus. You know, Mm -hmm. he is the way. He is the door to to real happiness. Absolutely. Everything else is just a distraction. Amen. I completely agree. We know we're looking for a who and not a what. Um, And uh, I hope next week we can get into a little bit more of the Bible's definition of happiness with Blake. I'm looking forward to that. He's going to join us again next week. So make sure you tune in. I will not be here next week. You will not be here next week. You will be on your way to Uganda. So we're taking applications for a (laughs) fill-in if anyone's interested. A podcast wife? (laughs) Yes.
Uh, we're working on a guest co Maybe I can call in from Uganda. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. We may have to push up the recording time to kind of match it up with your That's time. Fine. I'm eight hours ahead. Yeah, so we'll work on that. What time would that be here? Uh, I thought it was seven hours. Oh, seven hours, yes. Seven hours. So we'll try to do it, you know, maybe 10 p.m. your time, uh, three o'clock okay. in the afternoon, something like that. So hopefully Lisa can call in and, and give us a report from the ground, from the field. <laughs> but we love everybody that's listening. We love everybody that's not listening. We love every, every one of you guys that have uh, that have tuned in, and, and we appreciate everything that, that you guys have done and said. And if, uh, if you feel like this will bless somebody, please share it with them. Let them know. Uh, we're just doing what we're led to do, whether one or a hundred listens. So um, please pray for us. Pray for Elisa as she goes to Uganda. And we will see you next week.